Hello, everybody. I'm Richard Olberger, PhD clinical psychologist on behalf of Richard Listens. And I am here with my co-host, Lorinda Phillips from Retired from Sports. And we will be hosting Making the Jump panel. And our focus of this podcast panel extraordinaire is about helping athletes in transition, athletes post-retirement, and today we promise not to disappoint. I am hosting this panel along with Lorinda Phillips, who will be introducing our guests in just a minute. If you or anyone you know through this pandemic and beyond are needing support in any way, whether it be emotionally, mentally, or to just raise your game as a high performer and managing your stress, please check me out at richardlistens.com. If you want to find more content related to my podcast, or suggest someone you know to be on the podcast, please look me up on Instagram at Richard Listens and my patreon.com slash Richard Listens. Please sign up to be a supporter of our show and bring advanced content such as this panel directly to you. Without further ado, my fabulous co-host as well as CEO of Retired from Sports, Lorinda Phillips. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Making the Jump as your co-host, Master Certified Coach Lorinda Phillips. Our guests are elite athletes offering their story and advice that is entertaining, authentic, and relevant. They have walked in your shoes. David was born in Pittsburgh and through family job relocation, lived in St. Louis, Denver, Naperville, which is Chicago, where he attended high school. He earned a football scholarship to Stanford, where he was a three-year captain and an all-conference academic player. Played four years in the NFL with the Vikings, Broncos, and Panthers. We would like to know a little bit more about that as we go. After football, David has pursued a career in various forms around finance and business, uh, business operations, and got an MBA at UCLA. Uh, David currently works with a company called IAM Solutions and, and is helping bringing a coronavirus fighting device to the U.S. Uh, David has been married for 24 years and has three children. His hobbies include reading, stock trading, and personal development. I'd you know, love to introduce David Barnett. Thank you. And I want to first thank David for making time for being with us today. Again, to remind all our listeners and subscribers that, that the goal, especially in this pandemic and beyond, is to assist athletes who go through this amazing transition from being professional and being incredibly, you know, the most skilled and leaders in their field and all of a sudden are left in this unknown world of transition into everyday life. And so we want to provide them with leaders and mentors and people who have made the jump in different ways to give them little nuggets to get them started on their journey. So David, thank you so much for making your time available. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. First question, you know, if you could, maybe it's more of a, an open-ended question. If you could tell us a story that stands out regarding uh, your playing days at, at Stanford University, obviously uh, it's no small feat to, to get a Division I scholarship, let alone an academic historic football institution such as Stanford. The first thing that probably comes to mind is my freshman year, the first couple of games, I was just on special teams and we had an injury to one of our starting weak side linebackers, which I was the backup for. Um, so I got put in as a starter and during the practice 
week, we have this drill that is right outside our um, workout facility, which is essentially 11 on 11. And we had a situation where the offense was running a two-minute drill. Defense had to stop them. There was a, an assignment where I was lined up against one of our backs, and he caught a pass, ran for a little while, and then I brought him down. I was so mad at having missed the assignment, essentially. They were then at the goal line, and they ran three plays, where all three plays, I was the guy who made the tackle because I was so mad at having made the mistake the last play. And after the last tackle, Coach Green, Coach Dennis Green, who's the late Dennis Green, who's no longer with us, blew the whistle, brought everyone together. And the first thing he said was, I thought, I didn't think anyone would stop Garnett after after that set of plays. And so that was just an interesting, that was like one of the many sort of ideas that I had that, that I took from things that happened or that were said that led me to the belief that I would be able to play on the next step. I had a, I had a similar situation when I was in high school where I was on an all-star team and uh, we were, there was a punt. I was on the punt team and I was around where the ball was. And there was this, I don't know, he's probably 275-pound lineman who was going to try and blow me up because I was standing around the pile. And so I saw him out of the corner of my eye and I essentially dipped my hips and got lower than him and then lifted up and essentially did what he was going to do to me and put him on his butt. Yeah. So little things like that were just indications that I had the ability that I might be able to go to the next level. And this is really great for, for players and coaches to hear, right? Because, you know, I know if you work as hard as you do to go play Division One, nobody wants to see themselves on special teams for four years, yet everyone has to start somewhere to be a part of a they team. And for even sure. when you leave, even with the accolades that, that you've accrued at some level, when you come into the business world, that same message is there, right? That, that yes. if you do get a handout, you better be careful. And if you do start out in something, and I have many, many athletes we talk to that have started in real estate, insurance, and they're, they got to do the same amount of cold calling and, right. and what that can really do to the ego. So it's amazing these kind of experiences that we hold on to, whether there was a mentor present. And I love Dennis Green. Thank you so much for mentioning him. Uh, sure. I, I love his clip uh, when they <laughs> ask him about, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, I know when they exactly ask about his opponent, about. he says, you know, they are who we thought they were. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's incredible that you got to play with him. But these little yeah. anchoring experiences that we hang on to that where we showed ourselves something. Right. Very much so. I mean, I think that for me, it was always about um, whenever I would make the transition to the next phase, it was understanding where you were, understanding that you're starting over. You know, you could have been the biggest fish in the pond wherever you were in high school. But when you go to college, you're in with people who are of the same ilk or greater. And so you have to have a very humble idea about the work you have to put in. Um, the sacrifice you have to make, the commitment and focus you have to have at that next level. Uh, one of the things that I that a buddy of mine from Stanford, Ron Riddell, um, he works for Double Line, an investment firm um, in Los Angeles. We worked together at uh, Trust Company of the West where he uh, left. And one of the things he told me, because he 
um, after playing football at Stanford, he tried out for the Colts, but didn't make it. And then essentially went into the investment world. And he told me when I was there, you have to look at what you're doing and figure out what blocking and tackling and running and catching look like inside of that business. Um, so you can, so you can essentially take the skill set you already know and apply it to a different language. And then, you know, once you are in the investment world, then how do you apply that to whatever you do next? Um, so that was always a valuable lesson for me. Um, and one that I sort of had already glommed on to understanding that each change of um, place that you are requires that you really be humble and get down to the grassroots of what needs to be done so you can be successful at this next place as you were at the previous place. Yeah, and I just want to, you know, just highlight on what you said, you know, that so much as athletes, right, the structure of the way you think about the different skill sets you need, that that really anchors you, like that, that every day, these are the things I need to work on. The habits are already there of practice, right. but, but having, right, okay, I need to find four things or three things that I focus on in my improvement. So, so I really like that metaphor for the, the focus and, you know, and carrying that identity as athlete. You know, right. you know, when someone, you know, there is a, a feeling that you get from that strength right. uh, and that work ethic. And so being able to take that forward into whatever you do, you know, just because you're no longer, you know, professional athlete, you still have all those characteristics and strengths, right. which, sure. which make you remarkable. Yeah, and for sure. And sometimes some of the players that we've talked to, they actually didn't get that you know, the keys, they didn't get right. some of the, the mentorship, if you will, uh, then right. carry that on. And it's so great that, you know, yes, you already had some inkling and I think it's a combination lock, you know, that you got right. a combination from someone who you trust, right? So right. you could go, go on. It's so great. Um, so great. Okay. Fabulous. What other things stand out for you, David, when you played with the, the in the NFL? What were some of the moments for you, or maybe even players for you, um, in your memory? In the NFL, it was one. The season is longer, especially in my rookie year. You get past game 12, 13, and you really start to feel the weight of not only practice, but also just the game. I remember specifically one defensive meeting we had. This was actually near the end of my rookie year. Uh, John Randall, uh, our Hall of Fame defensive tackle, was in our was in the room and he was he was tired and generally you don't see him tired like he he essentially had a motor that just kept going and uh, defensive line coach John Cheerlink was um, essentially talking about uh, some of the rigors of of the season and talked about how you want to be able to play football as long as you can because once you're done you're done. And that was that was one of the many things that I learned my rookie year um, that stuck with me as, you know, the dedication and the effort that you have to put into whatever you're doing, um, specifically at the time it was football, um, but then being able to carry that to the next thing that you do. And 
really the transition from being a pro athlete to not being a pro athlete. I was in the NFLPA my last year and they talked about, it was like five to six years typically that guys have once they leave the NFL that they sort of struggle with because, and this is something I, I realized as well, um, as much as I sort of thought that football was something I did, wasn't necessarily um, a part of my identity. When it's no longer there, there is a part of you that is missing and you have to fill that with the new work that you're doing and tie it as much back to what you were doing so you don't have that sense of loss. Another thing that um, was important, uh, and I'm, I'm talking to my son about this because he's uh, a football player at UCLA now, is the structure that you need when you're done playing. Because when you're, when you're in a football field or a football team, things are laid out for you very detailed, very specifically. And so you just have to show up and do the things. When you're not on a football team and you're in a regular job, there is a plan for you, but the structure of how you do things is not necessarily in place. And so it's up to you to be able to create your own structures that will help you be successful at the new job as you were when you were playing athletics. You, uh, that's so true. Oh my God, it's beautifully said too. <laughs> I'm gonna. I want to. I want to get. I want to get uh, nitty with with because uh, you get two really good points there, Dave. That I want to mm-hmm. uh, highlight. You made many great points in there, and, and congratulations to your son playing at the highest level too and thank you hopefully we'll be out there able to watch him play at ucla yeah. soon hopefully <laughs> yeah it's a you know talk about loss the whole pandemic and not being able to like just to like fight to practice i'm right. sure he's begging to put some pads on but you know you mentioned what you, your experience with john randall i'm wondering what you learn as an athlete about when you do hit burnout how do you find motivation to keep going and does that translate into your, your work post-career? You have to be able to, like going back to what I was saying about the structure, there has to be an external structure, but there also has to be an internal structure. Like as an athlete, there's a certain makeup that you have and an internal drive and function that helps you perform the way that you do. When you leave and that part of you sort of leaves, you then have to rebuild that not only an external structure, but an internal structure of how you do just based on principles of how you go about doing things and then being able to consistently apply those things over and over and over again. And that is, it's difficult, you know, especially with when when you have something that's just laid out for you, it makes it that much easier. So you don't have to really think about what you're doing you just have to go out and do it and you know that that ties into any habit that you have eventually when you first start out i like to say this to my kids as a general idea for them because they all love video games and my daughter is actually working for activision um she's done with college and now she's working for activision so she's do she plays video games all day long for her job but you know when you first get a video game you don't necessarily know how to play it. And so it's going to take hours and hours of practice until you get to a level that you can very easily get past the first three rounds of something because you've seen all the tricks, you've gone through all the the little holes, and now your, your muscle memory um, of being able to see certain things helps you to react faster and get past certain things. So 
in any skill, it's the same way. You have to be able to work through getting killed a thousand times at the beginning <laughs> until you until you build up a good enough resistance and, and, and habits that you've built up that can help you get past any of the, the small things that might stop someone else who's starting at the beginning. And that's sort of true as you go through life. The more experience you gain, the easier you're able to see certain patterns that might carry over or help you in different ways or bring a different, a certain experience from your athletic background and apply it to parenting. Those are definitely things that I think about a lot. You know, with my reading habit, I read about a lot and try to implement those things into what I do. Yeah, and I'm glad, you know, uh, you know that you mentioned your hobbies and that you point out video games. I'm laughing because, first of all, I tried to play uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out again recently. He's still, still getting me. <laughs> video games, the, the, tr the point being that there has to be a little bit of fun in the learning or some play. Yeah. That, that, you know, like the amount of pressure, like you talking about, oh, I missed one assignment. As an yeah. athlete, it's like I've got the next play, the next play, and I can show it, and I get to feel like, I overcame the challenge, right. the obstacle, the level. So I really think that message for the athletes out there, right? There has to be as scary as it is, uh, the unknown, uh, as daunting as it is, there's got to be a little bit of like play in it. That you're, yeah. you're going to make mistakes, you're going to stumble, and that's that's normal. Right. That's part of your, that's part of the growth that everyone has to go through. You know, you know, you, you can take a lot of lessons from just looking at uh, babies, you know, babies don't get discouraged about the fact that they can't walk. They just right. keep getting back up and trying. It's one of the, one of the things that I think gets taken away from us to some degree as you go through school is that sense of trying without feeling like you actually fail. You know, when you go to school and you're in kindergarten and the teacher asks, asks who can draw, almost every kid's hand can go up. But then through going through different classes, different teachers saying, no, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. You know, by the time they get to high school, you ask the same question and you have like, you know, two hands go up as opposed to the whole class. And that's something that I wish that we could fix in our education system so that you constantly have these creative minds figuring out how to, to go about things, you know, because it, it will just bring more creativity to the world by having more kids that say, okay, I can try this and do this and figure it out. Um, as opposed to saying that there's one correct way. You know, obviously in some uh, disciplines like science or math, there's obviously going to be a right answer. Um, but in other areas, there's not. And that's where you can sort of develop the creativity to be able to have more kids think that they can do things um, because they have the the talent, the the idea that they can do it and have the and put the effort into it. Because that's a lot of athletics is um, to me. It's yeah, you have a certain innate ability, but what then do you do with that ability? Is what sort of pushes you all the way through. Like John Randall is a perfect example of that. You know when he came to the Vikings, he was underweight as a defensive lineman. And like in his first meeting, the defensive line coach was like, you belong over with the linebackers. 
And, you know, he said, no, I'm a D lineman. And he essentially then, through the course of, um, I think it was like an off season, um, put on enough weight that they would take him as a D lineman and then continue to put on weight and develop his skills so that he could become the player we know him as today. Essentially, that was his nickname. His nickname was Muscle because he put on a ton of muscle to be able to play that position. Um, And that's sort of a, a lot of what it is. You know, he had the natural ability, but again, that was the NFL saying you need to look a certain type of way. And he then molded himself to look that way. And then, you know, because of the worth ethic that he had, then became a Hall of Famer. If you'd like to listen more, please click on the link for Making the Jump located in the show notes so you can get access to all of the shows and their complete recordings. This is Richard Listens, and I'm out.